We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Steve Rezis, a winner of multiple FFPC main event leagues whose career winnings total nearly $20,000. Currently, he sits in 40th place overall in the 7,800 team Football Guys Players Championship contest that awards $2.2 million in prizes, including a $250,000 grand prize. In this episode, we break down the best way to manage a low-fab budget late in the season, what NFC East receiver is on the starting lineup radar suddenly, and what NFC West running back is poised for a big second half. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is $20,000 FFPC high stakes winner, Steve Rezis. (laughs) 
Breezes, the 40th place team overall in the 2018 Football Guys Players Championship, joining me on the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown this week. Steve, thanks for hanging out with me. Appreciate it, man. No problem, Balky. Thanks for having me. You, uh, you bet, and you're having a good season. And we're going to get into not only that team, uh, but we're going to get into some some fantasy football topics that uh, are affecting everybody as we head into one of the most important weeks of the year here in the FFPC. But before we get to that, can you tell the listeners what you do for a living when you're not setting those lineups, drafting those teams, placing those waiver bids? Absolutely. So uh, I live in Western Massachusetts. I work for a very small CPA firm. There's nine of us total. Um, so, uh, I think calling me a professional nerd is probably allowed, <laughs> uh, other than that, when, uh, you know, I'm not doing the fantasy football, I just, you know, like to hang out with my friends. We'll go out, you know, go to some concerts, some sporting events, you know, stuff like that. You know, nothing, nothing too fancy, but just like to have fun, make the best of, uh, things whenever you can. Yeah. You, uh, you're definitely living the dream there, my friend, uh, for sure. And you had, you you and I can't remember when you were on the HSFFR. I can't remember if we talked about this, but you are uh, in a long line of successful CPA fantasy football players in the FFPC. Yeah, I can't remember if we talked about that, but uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me because uh, you know our busy seasons kind of line up well to where we have the downtime in the summer to be able to get the work done that we need to get done to be ready for the draft every fall. So. Yeah, it's. I think it's the number crunching too. You guys are just really talented when it comes to that. For for whatever reason, we've there's there's so many a lot of uh, successful accountants and um, uh, attorneys. We have a lot of attorneys that that seem to have had uh, a lot of success as well. Yeah, the uh, there's. I think there's definitely something to be said for the analytical skills and trying to look at the numbers and you know. Obviously, some of it's luck, too, but, you know, take any advantage you can get. Absolutely. If you can use your day job to your advantage, more power to you. So let's talk about the Football Guys Players Championship. In the league that you're in, uh, 40th place overall, and this is, uh, again, almost 8,000 teams in this, so being in 40th right now is, is pretty impressive. Um, not only did you take Zach Ertz at the 211 in this draft, but you also grabbed Delaney Walker at the 502. And obviously one of those picks was a huge boom. You got unlucky with the Delaney Walker thing. That aside, you obviously focused on tight ends early in this draft. What's your tight end philosophy in the FFPC leagues that have the one and a half points um, PPR for tight ends? Do you, I mean, is this typical grabbing two tight ends early or is this something that, that you tried out uh, for, you know, that, that was sort of new to you? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily early, but usually in the FFPC format, I, I've learned over the years that I like to have two tight ends that I feel good about. Um, whether or not that means having to grab it early, I guess, you know, part of that depends on how any given draft plays out. Um, you know, if you're on the end of a draft or, you know, in the middle. And, uh, you know, going into this year, I had Delaney Walker as my fifth-ranked tight end. And I made the mistake of between the FFPC leagues and this football guys league, I took them in every league. So <laughs> that hurt more times than I'd care to even talk about. But, um, you know, I felt good about them going into the year. And, you know, ever since then, I've kind of been trying to recover. But, you know, luckily Zach Ertz made up for it. But, you know, I do like to try and grab two that I feel good about. And then after that, it's really about value in my eyes, you know, based on who's available for a third or a fourth, you know, trying to grab an upside tight end. 
And um, I kind of had a feeling going into the year that tight end might be a little bit of a letdown. I had no idea it would be this bad. I can't even try to take credit for it. But, um, you know, looking at all the injuries between Olsen earlier in the year, Delaney Walker, um, and just the guys who have been underperforming as a whole, I, I, I really can't remember tight end being this much of a dumpster fire in recent years. I'm just thinking out loud because I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. I'm kind of wondering, like, as far as 2019 goes, if they're going to actually be a little bit undervalued because I can't, I, the way that, the, that it's worked out this year, I can't see that happening to that degree two years in a row. I'm wondering if in the FFPC next year, you don't necessarily have to overdraft to get two good ones early. You might be able to get, you know, obviously an elite one early, but then you could get a pretty like, like a top seven guy um, a couple rounds, you know, two, three rounds later after that i wonder if they're almost going to be devalued next year because people are like unless i get a top two or a top three guy i am staying away from that tight end mess because i know how it ended up in 2018 yeah i agree with you i think a lot of people are going to be down as a whole on the tight end position going into next year and you could sort of say the same thing that happened recently with the running backs Um, a couple of years ago people didn't want to touch running back in their first couple rounds and they were all about zero RB, and you know, part of it was their own personal philosophy. But I think part of it was there was a there was a tough stretch there for a couple of years where you know you took a running back early, and it usually ended up poorly for you. So I think that could definitely happen again with the tight ends this year. Um, you know, me being in New England, being a, a Patriots fan, I think I don't think Gronk's necessarily going to be trending up. I think you know, I think he's seen his best days in terms of production. So once you get past, you know, your Travis Kelsey's, your Zach Ertz's, you know, even your um, like George Kittles, your Eric Ebron's, you know, it's it, I think it's really going to be tough at the tight end position. And I think people are going to look poorly upon it and you might be able to get some good values just because of that uh, going into next year. I mean, obviously, it's really early. Never know what will happen with people moving around, uh, scheme changes people getting taken in the draft but right now i would say it's definitely you know, at a low point going into next year speaking of next year and as long as i can i can uh, pick your brain being uh, that you are in the heart of patriots country there uh, on the east coast rob gronkowski is scheduled to make nine million dollars next year is he going to be a new england patriot because it would be such a patriots move for them to move him in the final year of his deal, get what they can and sort of wash their hands of, of, you know, this nonsense of him missing three, four or five games in a row. Uh, and then just, you know, roll with the draft pick similar to how they did the, you know, Brandon cooks and, and how they, 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 they sort of had a history of this, you know, trading guys before they've had to pay them. Um, the guy Chandler Jones that they, you know, when they traded him to Arizona, it seems like, um, th- this would not be new territory for them. How, is Gronk a Patriot in your opinion in 2019? I don't think so. And, you know, so Belichick usually has a history of getting rid of guys a year too soon versus a year too late. And I don't know if this is widely known across the country, but he actually had a deal in place to trade Gronk in the offseason. There there were some hard feelings there where um, Gronk wanted to get paid, didn't want to have an incentive deal like he had two years ago. Um, he did that whole thing at the monster truck rally at Gillette Stadium that really rubbed Belichick the wrong way. And he had a deal in place to ship him off to Detroit for a first-round pick. And it was widely reported that Brady and Gronk both stepped in and said, you know, I won't go. If you trade me, I'll retire. And Brady said, if you trade me 
you know, I might not come back. So that kind of nixed that deal. So Belichick was kind of already thinking along the same lines as you. And then when you look at the fact that he's banged up, he's had multiple back surgeries over his career, he's taken a ton of punishment, he's on the books for a big salary number, I think that they're going to ask him to restructure. He's going to say no. They might try to trade him. He might balk at that again. And they might just end up cutting him. But uh, I would be shocked if he's on the books for $9 million in the Patriots uniform next year. So something's going to have to give. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I got I to gotta see if I can flip him in a couple of my dynasties after the season ends um, and see, what, see, see if I can pull the Belichick off and train him a little bit too early and get something for him there. Uh, because I can't imagine his value would be going up anywhere he goes to when he uh, leaves that Tom Brady and that Patriots offense. Uh, stick in the uh, – well, before we get to that, let's talk about this team um, that you have in 40th because you only have $3 left uh, in, in your in your fab budget for uh, blind bid acquisitions uh, over the next couple of weeks. Typically, um, do you like to spend the bulk of that cash early in the season, uh, even when it comes at the expense of like now where you're in a position to – you know you're going to be in the playoffs. You're you're looking really good for the championship round, but you you're a little bit hamstrung on picking up free agents that could be difference makers in weeks 14 through 16. Typically, Steve, how do you usually like to allocate those funds in your blind bidding? Is this typical uh, of how you normally do it? I would say that this has been an atypical year for how I like to spend the free agent money in this league, and the reason was normally how I like to do it is. I mean, you would probably know better than I would, but from the years that I've been doing it, and I think I've been doing the FFPC for probably five or six years now, it it feels like to me, in any given year, you're going to find anywhere between a half a dozen to a dozen guys on the free agent uh, wire that'll actually make a significant impact over the course of the majority of the season. So what I try to do is I try to hang on to my money you know, at least for the first few weeks to see what shakes out for those guys, because obviously finding those guys is easier said than done. Everyone tries to jump on the first guy that makes an impression trying to find one of those guys. And some of them pan out, some of them don't. Uh, In this league this year, I kind of had to go away from that because obviously we talked about Delaney Walker getting hurt in week one, done for the year. So I needed to get a second tight end that I felt good about. So I started, you know, picking off guys like, you know, um, John Smith, Ian Thomas didn't exactly work out. You know, I have CJ Uzoma and Jeff Hireman now from Denver. So it's kind of a mix and match behind. Um, and then I also lost Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, my quarterbacks, the way I drafted it was Jimmy Garoppolo and Carson Wentz. Um, you know, I need, I felt like Garoppolo could be what I needed for the first few weeks until Wentz was healthy and ready to go. And then after that, I felt like they could be a good tandem to kind of mix and match based on the matchup. But when he went down, I had to find another quarterback that I could feel good about in case, God forbid, anything happened to Wentz or I needed him in a pinch. So I, I had to spend more money than I would have liked to trying to find replacements for those guys. Um, you know, if it weren't for that, I would have held back and tried to find, you know, allocate the money for someone like a Philip Lindsay or something like that. So that's typically the MO. But, you know, when you have injuries, you got to make sure that you can build enough depth. Um, you know, so I don't have that much money left right now, but I feel good about my roster, you know, the way it is. Uh, I feel like I have some good depth 
hopefully that'll that'll carry on through. But you know, you can't predict injuries, and you know, you got to use the money when you need it to make sure that you can field a roster that you can go through the year with. Yeah, and and you make the good point of like you know you don't necessarily have to spend it you know the bulk of it on one player. I know Philip Lindsay was real popular for a lot of leagues that he was still available in at the start of the season. Um, but I, I look at, you know, using chunks of it to take swings at certain players to see if they stick. You're right. You know, Ian Thomas, um, John o. Smith, those guys didn't work out, but at least you're spending the money to try to find the guy that will work out. And eventually he did hit on a couple of guys that, you know, aren't necessarily going to help you win the league, but they're going to help get you there, get you to the playoffs and, and maybe, um, you know, put up a, a, a solid number uh, in the in the fleet playoffs or in the championship round that is, is going to help you uh, stay afloat and give you a chance when it comes down to it on week 16. So good points there on the fab for sure. Um, AJ Green is on the shelf. I know Ian Rappaport was, said, tweeted out something on Sunday that makes you kind of think like, ah, maybe he'll be back sooner than you think, maybe as soon as this week, although that's not looking likely. Um, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, I mean, obviously you're playing those guys on Cincinnati. Is there anybody else? That, that that makes a, a good play. I know John Ross is is going to be popular in, in blind bidding this week. Uh, obviously, tight end premium formats. You look at C.J. Uzuma, uh, you know, people are excited about him, but but he's had a couple of clunkers. Is it Boyd Mixon for you, or is there somebody else here that we should be looking at? <laughs> uh, I don't feel good about the Bengals' offense until A.J. Green gets back. Um, I think if I were to pick anybody outside of those two i might go for a dice roll on geo bernard only because i i feel like they might use him in the passing game more even if it's in the slot and then you shift out tyler boyd to the outside but you know cj uzoma i have him but and i want to believe in him but he's (laughs) only top four targets in the game once so he he's not getting the volume you would have fought last week he would have gotten the volume first game without AJ Green. They were going to have to score a lot to catch up, you know, to New Orleans. But and maybe that game was just an anomaly because that game went to hell real quick. But you know, you look at their upcoming games. They're at Baltimore. They're home to Cleveland and they're home to Denver. I think that Marvin Lewis is going to try and run the ball, play defense, and really kind of make the game a small possession game, keep it close, and try and win it because he knows that without A.J. Green, they're kind of outmanned to a degree. Joe Mixon is a phenomenal talent, but when you take away A.J. Green, I mean, Tyler Boyd's had a great year, but he's not a true number one. You can focus on Joe Mixon, and it just makes things harder for everyone. So I I just can't I can't trust John Ross. If he stays healthy for two games in a row, I'll be surprised. He's great talent, but... You know, I, the injuries speak for themselves so far. And, um, you know, that starting job was his for the taking. And he just couldn't seize it. And, you know, Tyler Boyd kind of lapped him in the preseason. The rest was history. So I think that Gio Bernard is a guy who could handle 10 to 15 touches a game and be okay. And when you really look at the other options outside of John Ross, C.J. Uzoma, I mean, you're talking Cody Core, Alex Erickson. I, I mean, there's there's not really a lot to get excited about there. So, if you're desperate, especially in a week like this where you're talking about six teams on bye, I mean, you could do a lot worse than Gio Bernard and just cross your fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, not only that, too. I mean, you think about going forward. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that you got to keep on your roster till the end of the season because if 
Joe Mixon were to go down in any given week, you know that Giovanni Bernard is probably going to handle about 20, maybe even 25 touches, and he would be a great, you know, pick-to-win type guy uh, as your second running back if Mixon ever were to go. You know, God forbid he misses more than one game, and then Bernard could could be that guy who steps up weeks 14 to 16 and really brings it home for you. So, yeah, and even, you know, when, when Mixon's healthy, he does have some value there as well let's shift from cincinnati and go way out west to los angeles as the rams are gearing up for a big game uh, against the chiefs this week but they'll be doing it without cooper cup i look at these this receiver core i know when cup missed uh, action before there was the game where josh reynolds caught a touchdown Uh, how close can reynolds come to doing what cooper cup did for this team or are you kind of ignoring Reynolds and leagues and and just focusing on, okay, it's going to be Brandon Cooks, it's going to be Robert Woods at the wide out, obviously Todd Gurley at tight end, but I'm not looking for a third receiver on this team to do much for fantasy. How do you view it now? And this is a tough one because that offense is fantasy gold. Um, I mean, obviously I don't think anyone's going to come close to just matching Cooper Cup's production because – him and Goff had a great connection. They were boys, um, you know, even going back to last year. That, that That's hard to replace. Um, I'm kind of torn on this one. I, I don't know whether to believe that Josh Reynolds is going to, you know, pick up the slack because, um, you know, McVay does like to use a lot of the same personnel packages. So if he stays in his three wide receivers and, you know, keeping Gurley out there, then obviously Reynolds would seem to be a logical fit, but... In the two games, the two full games that Cooper Cup missed earlier in the year, Reynolds only had one target in the first game, and then the second game he had five targets, and I believe that was the one where he caught two touchdowns against Green Bay. Um, but, you know, I, I have this little inkling that they might try and get Gerald Everett more involved, too. Um, in the limited action that he's seen, he seems like he's someone that could contribute more. Um I mean, I would definitely put a bid in for Josh Reynolds, but I wouldn't hold my breath that he's going to be a set-it-and-forget-it wide receiver one or two. I think that he would fall into the realm of guys that you're trying to mix and match for your flex plays in the FFPC. Um, I think they could put Gurley in the slot more because he's a really great route runner. I think you're going to see Robert Woods in the slot more. Um, And, man, I remember watching him in Buffalo, and he wasn't good at all, and now – as we can clearly see, it was Buffalo. It wasn't him. Um, that guy's just money. He he seems to make big plays every game. Um, so I think that you could count on Reynolds to be a flex. I don't think he's going to reach the Cooper Cup level, which was probably what wide receiver two production wasn't he top twenty five before he got hurt? Yeah, yeah, no, he was he was definitely up there. In fact, he was. If you looked at a, I I, I not not including this week ten game, but if you went into um, uh, fantasy points per game for FFPC scoring uh, heading into the Week 10 game. Cooper Cup, I think, was like wide receiver 13 or something like that. And he was like 18th overall on total points, just, you know, even missing that action. And that's with Woods and that's with uh, Cooks out there. So, I mean, if, if the Rams ever, you know, decide to go the route of, okay, one of these guys is going to be expendable and Cooper Cup is is, you know, the one or the two on that team, I mean, the sky's the limit for that guy. I, I think he's fantastic, and he's showing us uh, this season for sure. Yeah, so I, I don't think Reynolds is going to come close to that. Like I said, I think he could be flex-worthy depending on your situation and the matchup. Um, 
I mean, if you're if you're hard up this week, you know, I, I hate to harp on it again, but when you've got six teams on by, you really shouldn't feel bad about having to start mostly anybody. Right. <laughs> so especially in this game, which I think is the highest uh, over under um, that they've had in the league in quite a while. Start your Rams, start your Chiefs. If you pick them up, I would definitely start them against that Kansas City pass defense. Um, you know, unless unless you don't really, unless you manage to luck into not having too many guys on bye this week. But uh, he'll he'll benefit a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if Gerald uh, Everett benefits a little bit. But I think that they're going to spread most of those targets around to Woods, Cooks, and even Gurley. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think you're right. And, like, I don't even know if I go to the point of saying Reynolds has. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Uh, Well, no, I guess I would go to the point where I'd say Reynolds has flex value this week. After that, I'm not so sure. But, I mean, we're going to get a taste of of what the Rams are going to do this Monday night in Los Angeles when when they take on the Chiefs. I think you're right. I think, by and large, when we look back at what happened to the Rams' offense, you know, uh, AK after Cup, I think it's going to be um, a case where Gurley, Woods, and uh, Cooks are are the biggest beneficiaries with Reynolds kind of working in every now and then. But certainly outside of this week, not a guy – I'm super confident in uh, in starting. Um, a guy I have not been confident in starting basically for his entire career has been Josh Doxson. Now, it's a little bit different <laughs> now, Steve, because his next few games, he plays Houston, plays Dallas, plays Philly, who just lost Ronald Darby for the year, and then uh, the Giants, uh, who I wouldn't say were cut up by, by Nick Mullins uh, on, on uh, Monday Night Football, but certainly gave up some yards through the air. Um, all of those teams have shown that they can be exposed uh, via the pass this season. And Paul Richardson, obviously, on IR. Jamison Crowder of Washington has basically got nothing from so far this year. Is Josh Doxson worth a, a look in your starting lineup as a flex over the next month? I hate to say it, but he might be. You know, forever with Josh Dotson going into this year, it was mostly him, right? You know, he wasn't living up to his potential. It felt like he got hurt just as much as John Ross. Um, and he was a big-time disappointment. But you look at the circumstances surrounding the Redskins right now. Um, you know, Adrian Peterson is old. There's there's really no two ways about it. And, the you know, he's going to hit a wall at some point. So they're not going to be able to run the ball as often as they want to. You know, you've got Chris Thompson banged up. Jamison Crowder, like you said, he's going for another MRI because he doesn't feel right. So who knows when he's coming back? They desperately need him as well. Um, Paul Richardson out for the year. Um, There's limited weapons right now. And the scary thing for the Redskins is you've gotten a full healthy season out of uh, Jordan Reed so far. Right. 
You know, I mean, you can't count on him finishing the year healthy. So they're not throwing the ball a ton. But I hate to make it sound as simple as this, but who else do they have to throw the football to? Uh, yeah. I mean, you how know, are they doing this? By, by the way, Steve, how are they doing this? First place in the NFC East. In, well, the in... NFC East sucks this year. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the simple answer. I, I I've got a friend who's. I got a friend who's a Cowboys fan, and I tried to tell him that they're not out of it, even though, you know, he he hates the team this year. But, uh, you know, they suck. Philly's, Philly's got the Super Bowl hangover, but at least they're having more fun playing the games. And, um, you know, Washington, they really should have lost last week at Tampa if it weren't for Fitzpatrick mania being the turnover machine again. Right. They, they, and the kicker, they would have lost that game. But, you know, I just – Dotson's gotten four targets – at least in five straight games, which you might say isn't a ton, but when you look at the fact that the Redskins don't throw the ball a ton yet because they've been able to stay in a good situation game script-wise, that's actually a pretty good share of their targets. Um, You know, if they do fall behind, like, for instance, this week against Houston, um, you know, because they're missing offensive linemen, they might have a little bit of trouble with that Houston defense at the start. If they fall behind, they got to start throwing it. Um, I, I wouldn't mind picking up Dotson and then riding the wave to see how far it can take you. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to last a whole year just because I'm not so sure he's going to stay healthy himself, but if he can stay healthy, the talent is there and they desperately need him. So, you know, I picked him up a couple weeks ago in that, uh, football guys league cause I dropped Paul Richardson and, you know, I started him last week because I didn't know what was going to go on with, uh, with Golden Tate, and, you know, it actually worked out. He caught the touchdown pass. So, you know, I, I could think of worse guys to start, given the circumstances. It's not pretty, but, you know, sometimes you got to take what you can get. Nick Chubb and on Johnson, I mean, they, they certainly have looked and, and definitely looked awesome for zero RB uh, drafters and utilizers uh, in Week 10. What about what Matt Breida did on Monday Night Football? Because he, he not only did, did the stats look good after the game, but if you watched it, he really passed the eye test. I mean, he looked super explosive out there, making cuts. I know he, he came out of the game, I think, once be, you know, for an injury. He was shook up or whatever, but he came back in. I look at the landscape of running backs. Is Matt Breida a top 20 guy the rest of the way there? Because he certainly looked the part on Monday, Steve. Yeah, I mean, he looked great, and, um, you know, it sounds like you're not really buying Nick Mullins mania, but, if, <laughs> no. you know, if, if Nick I'm, Mullins I'm, can... I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I am still skeptical, although he has already done more than I would have expected from him the entire season. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree. Once more tape gets out on him, he might struggle a little bit more. Um, that being said, if he keeps it up, that's certainly going to help Brita in terms of keeping the defenses honest. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to buy him as a top 20 the rest of the way. Um, I guess I'm still a little skeptical that he's going to be able to stay healthy. I mean, think of all those games where he, and give him credit, he gutted out those games. He was playing at less than hundred percent, but you could tell that he was less than hundred percent in those games and it affected his found his fantasy output. So, um, hopefully with the bye week for him, he gets hundred percent healthy. And if that's the case and he can stay healthy, then I think he'll be top 20 easy, but I just, I don't think he's going to be able to, I, I think he's going to, 
I think he's one of those guys who's always going to be a little bit nicked up and he's going to fight through it, which is great if you're a 49ers fan, but if you're a fantasy owner, it's not so good. And then when you look at his matchups the rest of the way, coming out of the bye at Tampa Bay isn't exactly scary. Um, at Seattle might be a tough game, but then they have a three-game stretch to end the year. Home to Denver, home to Seattle. Those might not be so bad. Like I said, Seattle might be a little bit tough, but championship week, they're playing the Chicago Bears, which could be a tough matchup for them by the time that rolls around. The way the Bears are trending, that game's going to matter to them for playoff seeding, even to get into the playoffs. And, you know, if Khalil Mack is healthy, that defense is nasty. So Matt Breida, if he stays healthy, could help a lot of teams get in a position to do something. But that Week 16 match could be a bit of a spoiler if you're looking to bring home some money in the FFPC. You know, like, and, and Nick Mullins, I think, like, the, the well, here's the one thing that I think Breida could use more is more dump-off passes. And Nick Mullins is actually talented enough where he, he got the ball to Marquise Goodwin, and he especially got the ball to George Kittle quite a bit. Um, against the Giants on Monday night. So it's like Nick Mullins needs to suck more and not and only be able to throw it to running backs when he when he gets under pressure. That would really help Breida too, and I don't see that happening because Nick Mullins has looked pretty capable back there thus far. Um, you mean like Eli Manning? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Hopefully he will be picked up on some stuff from Eli Manning when they when they played on uh, uh, against each other on Monday night and going forward. Uh, Breed is the beneficiary of more dump offs there. All the George Kittle owners are just, uh, you know, yelling at us right now uh, through their uh, iPhones or whatever they're using to listen to the podcast. But yeah, totally like that. Um, Leonard Fournette, let's talk about him, Steve. Is he back? He had the massive week uh, this past week. It, it really seemed like Jacksonville um, not only made him a, a focal point of their offense, uh, but they, they really didn't put the ball in, in TJ Yeldon or Carlos Hyde's hands enough to really make a difference as far as, um, you know, where you consider benching for net because he's not getting the work. However, he's no strangers to the trainer table, trainer's table. Uh, Jacksonville, you know, still wants to keep him healthy to make a push here uh, the final uh, couple of weeks in November and then December to try to sneak back into the playoffs. Uh, maybe they try to monitor his workload to try to keep him on the field rather than off of it. How do you how do you sort of handicap Fournette the rest of the way? Do you still view him as a guy that's that that is going to get twenty to twenty five touches, or is he going to be vulnerable for that you know clunker where he only gets like you know seven or eight? Uh, barring injury, which you know it's Leonard Fournette, so it's, you probably can't re- right. <laughs> you, you can't really bar that. Um, I think that they're gonna they're gonna ride him into the ground. Um, when you look at it, they're three and six right now. And when you look at the playoff landscape in the AFC, whoever doesn't win the division between the Chiefs and the Chargers is going to get one of the wild card spots. So there's only one wild card spot left if they don't win the division. And they've already dropped division games to Tennessee at home, uh, Houston at home, and Indy on the road. So the odds of them winning the division aren't all that good. So realistically, they need to run the table or lose one more game at best if they want to make the playoffs. So at this point, you know, I kind of think that they babied Leonard Fournette, not the first time, but the second time when he aggravated it because he came back too early. He was all the way out through last week. But they they have nothing left to lose anymore. They're 3-6. and six, They have to run the table. They're probably the most disappointing team in the league to this point. And, you know, from everything that I've read the last couple weeks – 
Um, you know, they don't seem to be too, too high on him. That's why they made the trade for Carlos Hyde. And, you know, they're even talking about not even picking up his fifth year rookie option when the time comes. So if you're Jacksonville and you're only going to have him for a couple more years, you need to make a playoff push. At this point, you might as well try and use him as the workhorse you want him to be. And if he gets hurt again, oh, well, I mean, if he tweaks it again with how long he was out the first time, he's probably done for a year anyway. So you might as well use him. Hopefully, you know, he doesn't get hurt. And if he does get hurt, you've got Carlos Hyde and you've got TJ Yeldon. Hopefully, if you're a fantasy owner and you drafted Leonard Fournette, you also drafted TJ Yeldon, so the drop-off wasn't too much. But if you did and he's back at this point, you know, with the way you probably constructed your team, unless you lucked into James Conner, James White, um, Nick Chubb, you probably have no choice but to start him and hope for the best at this point. Uh, but, you know, I would feel good about it. Throughout our conversation this week, Steve, you've peppered a couple of names in here of, of guys that you are, are going to be bidding on this week. Again, only $3 left on your 40th place team, uh, so you may not be getting them. But in your other leagues, I'm sure you have more than three in, in, in several of them. Who are the hot names that you are going to be aggressive with on the waiver wire as we head into week 11? Uh, well, let's see here. Uh, if, you know, not in that league, but just in other leagues in general, um, I'd be looking to pick up Josh Adams. Um, trying to figure out Doug Peterson running back roulette is always a dangerous thing. They're like the but... new Patriots, aren't they? Remember back in the day, like, like, well, you know this for sure, you know, given where you live and uh, like, you, you kind of never knew what Patriot it was going to be. Now you kind of don't know what Eagle it's going to be as far as the backfield goes. Yeah, I mean, you, you always think you know, but you don't. <laughs> and But, you know, I mean, he uses them really effectively for real-life purposes. But trying to figure it out for fantasy is just, it's a nightmare. I mean, even going back to last year with, uh, you had LeGarrette Blunt, they traded for Jay Ajayi, and they mixed in Corey Clement. And you just, you never really knew. But when you looked at it in aggregate, they were effective. Um, But, you know, with that said, based on all the injuries they have, I think there is value in Josh Adams. He looks like he's the best all-around back they've got going now. Doug Peterson said he wants to get him more involved, even though, you know, even though that might just be lip service. Um, But, you know, with the injuries, they're down to him, Corey Clement, um, God knows when Darren Sproles is coming back. So I, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on, on him. Um, you got Rashad Penny, who finally flashed the form that, you know, people were expecting to see. He was a first-round pick. So obviously the Seahawks like him. Uh, you know, he came in out of shape in training camp, fell behind. It took him a while to uh, get some chances because obviously Mike Davis and Chris Carson were showing well ahead of him. Uh, whether or not he's going to get the work, who knows, but that might be more of a speculative ad because uh, look at how much Seattle's been running the ball. If if he can be a guy who even gets a serviceable amount of carries for when you need it and stretch run, you know, that might be able to win you a league. Uh, now that Le'Veon Bell isn't reporting, uh, your clear-cut backup is Jalen Samuels. Um, Mike Tomlin's been talking him up, so that might be worth a speculative ad, especially if you're – you know, the guy who owns James James Conner, that seems to be the natural handcuff, which, you know, even look at last week with the concussion, you know, you can't take anything for granted. So it's, I think it would be worth it to eat a roster spot if, as long as you're not in a very, very shallow league. Uh, we talked about Josh Reynolds. If you are absolutely desperate for tight ends, 
like, I don't know, if you're playing in the two tight end league or even in the FFPC or football guys, you know, you can look at Nick Finette. He's caught touchdowns in two straight. And then, you know, I wouldn't mind looking at Ricky Seals Jones, especially if you're desperate this week. They're playing Oakland. Oakland's basically quit. I don't even think a Raiders fan would deny it at this point. Uh, You know, Ricky Seals Jones has put up some nice efforts the last few weeks at home against Oakland. You know, he might be able to score you a touchdown, catch three or four passes. And with this many teams on by, I think you would take the 15 points and run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, those are some great names there, and I know names that are going to be picked up in a lot of FFPC leagues uh, this week. And, and uh, certainly guys that I will have or already do have bids on in my leagues uh, as well. So uh, that certainly backs up my thinking on that, which is uh, always good. Uh, Steve, you, listen, you've been very gracious with your time. Uh, appreciate you coming on with me this week. Last question, and, I, and then I'll let you go to get you know getting back to prepping for Week 11. A sleeper that a lot of people, a lot of high-stakes players um, will probably have on their benches uh, right now that you think actually might have a good Week 11 that you might want to think about getting them in. Uh, and then a stud that uh, many people will have in their starting lineups, but you think you should really uh, sit down and think about it long and hard before you submit that guy in your starting lineup. All right, so for the sleepers, and I got to preface this, you know, again, with so many teams on by. I really don't think there's going to be that many people that you wouldn't have in your starting lineup because this really is desperate times. You know, there was uh, one of my teams in the, uh, the football guys team back in week nine, I had so many guys on by, I only had one active player on my bench and I think it was a defense. So I was, I was, I was forced to start the Paul Richardson's of the world and you know, (laughs) it wasn't pretty, but you know, what can you do? But you know, for sleepers, I just mentioned Ricky Seals-Jones. I really like the matchup. Sterling Shepard at home against Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Sterling Shepard probably ordinarily would be a flex consideration in, you know, in this format. But I think given the matchup and how many teams you got on by, I think he's a surefire, you know, wide receiver too, can probably fit comfortably in. Um, I don't really see that defense slowing him down. I don't see the Giants defense slowing down Fitzpatrick unless he becomes a turnover machine again. But uh, either way, I don't think that uh, I don't think you're going to have to worry about a defensive struggle in that game. And then um, someone who you might be interested in, maybe you can uh, help me out with this a little bit, Balky. Uh, the law firm in Green Bay on a short week traveling out to Seattle, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Huh. I, uh, I I like the matchup. You know, Devontae Adams is great, but um, I was actually at the game a couple uh, weeks ago when the Patriots played him and. You know, the the plays that he was making, uh, obviously Rodgers made some great throws, but, you know, I think he's really great talent. I, I think that on the short week, with the limited weapons that Green Bay has now due to their wide receiver injuries, um, I think that he's going to have a good week. And, you know, I certainly think that he's someone who will be usable. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, Valdez Scantling, actually, I can tell you that um, in the um, af- after they had drafted him, you know, I was reading these stories about Valdez Scantling, about um, how he had been, you know, working out with um, with uh, w- with Randy Moss and all and all these other receivers. You know, I'm like, whoa, you know, there, there's something here. And I was reading like a lot of the pre-draft critiques about how, well, this guy is he's got great hands he's got great speed he's he's big um and it seemed like a lot of the shortcomings he had well he that he was kind of raw that he wasn't polished well you can kind of teach polish you can you can take 
rawness and, and refine it into something. And, and the more I saw in preseason of him, I, I was just kind of of the opinion. I'm like, well, you know, Cobb is going to be gone uh, after this year. And um, Geronimo Allison is just sort of, I mean, he's, he's not a pet. He's just a pet, unpedigreed, um, undrafted free agent. I think Valdez Scantling is the number two receiver and maybe the number two passing option uh, because I'm not convinced Jimmy Graham is on the Packers next year. I, the number two passing option on this Packers team uh, in, in 2019. And he's already become the number two receiver on this team. And you can make the case that he already is the number two passing option uh, on this squad. I would have no problem. Uh, I, th- I think he makes for like a, a fringe, uh, you know, like a, a top 25 receiving option this year. I definitely be uh, this week, excuse me. I definitely be flexing him out on Thursday night. You know, the great thing about him is um, he is, you know, Rogers for whatever reason, and I know Aaron Jones had a big game last week, but Rogers has, has not been, you know, chucking a ton of passes the last uh, couple of weeks. And, and I'm not really sure if that's just, you know, the case of, of Aaron Jones being more successful or not, but Rogers hasn't looked all that great. And this is by the way, coming from a Packers fan who's been spoiled by quarterback since the early nineties, but uh, he hasn't looked at his Aaron Rodgers self. He is still giving Marquez Valdez Scantling a lot of targets. It's clear that he trusts him maybe down at a Devonte Adams level, but he, he clearly trusts this guy to make plays and Valdez Scantling's getting the targets and he's making plays. And I fully expect him to have, you know, somewhere around like 15 fantasy points uh, again, that this, this Thursday night, I'm not sure how high scoring it's going to be, but uh, I, you know, I, I see him catching, you know, six, seven passes uh, in this game. So I, I think he makes uh, for a good start this week, man. Yeah. And um, I think that Randall Cobb's just about done. Yeah. When, when he, when he actually comes back and is healthy enough to play, do you think that McCarthy's going to play Cobb ahead of Valdez Scantling? Because I don't think that that would be the right thing to do, but well, I, I know I, some coaches have the whole seniority thing. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, I, from watching Mike McCarthy coach, I, I clearly know the one fallacy is trying to believe I know what's going to happen. And uh, so I, I stopped trying to guess a long time ago, but I will tell you this, that um, I saw the snap counts from this past week uh, against um, when, when the Packers took on Miami and Valdez Scantling was actually on the field more than Devonte Adams was. That was kind of surprising. I know Cobb did not make the the flights, the team flight to Seattle for the Thursday night game, so I know that he won't be playing. I think that uh, when and if Cobb is healthy to come back, he has fallen into the role of where they kind of have to manufacture touches a little bit for him, whereas you don't have to do that with Valdez Scantling. So I, I think he's clearly a, a ahead of him in the pecking order. I, Cobb is still going to get out on the field. Um, but I, I think Mike McCarthy is kind of realizing, look, if I want, if I want this job, if I want to keep this job, if I want to get this team to the playoffs, it's going to be with more playmakers on the field. And it's, it's going to come at the expense of, of Randall Cobb and, and, and Marquez Valdez Scantling, um, you know, being out there a lot more than, than he had been in the first half of the year. That again, I, I could be totally wrong on that. If if I find out Randall Cobb is coming back and playing 95% of the offensive snaps and Val, uh, uh, Valdez Scantling drops down to 70, that wouldn't shock me at all, Steve. I just I don't know what Mike McCarthy's capable of uh, at, at this point uh, of the season. I can only assume that that he knows how the bread is buttered on this offense, and, and it's with less Cobb and, and more Valdez Scantling. 
Well, for your sake, I hope so. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly, indeed. And on that note, we'll wrap up this episode. Steve Rezus, the 40th place team in the uh, Football Guys Players Championship, joining me this week uh, on the the High Stakes Lowdown. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck this weekend. Good luck the rest of the way. You certainly... I uh, have a, a team up there that, that can make some noise when it gets to the championship round if, uh, if you can make it that far, which you have positioned this team to do so. So good luck there, my friend, and, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, dude. Thanks a lot, Balky. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.